Section 4 of Stories by Foreign Authors, German Authors, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Stories by Foreign Authors, German Authors, Volume 2, by Various. A Ghetto Violet by Leopold Compert, Part 2. Then, as though moved by a sudden impulse, he quickly produced, from the depths of his overcoat, a heavy pocketbook. There, he cried, well-nigh out of breath, there are a hundred gulden for you, Ephraim. With that you can, at all events, make a start, and then you needn't sell the few things you still have. There, put the money away. Oats haven't fetched any price at all today, tis true, but for the sake of Gudula's children I don't mind what I do. Come, put it away, Ephraim, and may God bless you, and make you prosper. Uncle, cried Ephraim, as he raised the farmer's hand to his lips, is all this to be mine, all this? Yes, my boy, yes, it is a deal of money, isn't it? Said Gudula's brother, accompanying his words with a sounding slap on his massive thigh. I should rather think it is. With that you can do something at all events. And shall I tell you something? In Bohemia the oat crop is, unfortunately, very bad this season but in Moravia it's splendid, and is two groats cheaper. So there's your chance, Ephraim, my child. You've got the money. Bye. All at once a dark cloud overspread his smiling face. It's a lot of money, Ephraim, that I am giving you. Many a merchant can't lay his hands on it, he said, hesitatingly. But if you were to... Gam... The word remained unfinished, for upon his arm he suddenly felt a sensation, as of a sharp, pricking needle. Uncle Gavriel! cried Viola, for it was she who had gripped his arm, and the child's cheeks were flaming, whilst her lips curled with scorn and her white teeth gleamed like those of a beast of prey. "'Uncle Gavriel!' she almost shrieked. "'If you don't trust Ephraim, then take your money back again. It's only because you are our mother's brother that we accept it from you at all. Ephraim shall repay you to the last farthing. Ephraim doesn't gamble. You shan't lose a penny of it.' With a shake of his head, the farmer regarded the strange child. He felt something like annoyance rise within him. An angry word rose to the lips of the usually good-tempered man. But it remained unsaid. He was unable to remove his eyes from the child's face. As I live, he muttered, she has Gudula's very eyes. And with another thumping slap on his leg, he merrily exclaimed, All right, we'll leave it so then. If Ephraim doesn't repay me, I'll take you, you wild thing for you've stood surety for your brother, and then I'll take you away and keep you with me at home. Do you agree, you little spitfire, eh? Yes, uncle, cried Viola. Then give me a kiss, Viola. The child hesitated for a moment, then she laid her cheek upon her uncle's face. Ah, now I've got you, you little spitfire, he cried, kissing her again and again. Aren't you ashamed now to have snapped your uncle up like that? Then, after giving Ephraim some further information about the present price of oats and the future prospects of the crops, with a side-shot at the chances of wool, skins, and other merchandise, he took his leave. There was great surprise in the ghetto when the barely fifteen-year-old lad made his first start in business. Many made merry over the great merchant, but before the year was ended, the sharp-seeing eyes of the ghetto saw that Ephraim had a lucky hand. Whatever he undertook, he followed up with a calmness and tact which often baffled the restless activity of many a big dealer, with all his cuteness and trickery. 
whenever Ephraim, with his pale, sad face, made his appearance at a farmstead to negotiate for the purchase of wool or some such matter, it seemed as though some invisible messenger had gone before him to soften the hearts of the farmers. "'No one ever gets things as cheap as you do,' he was assured by many a farmer's wife, who had been won by the unconscious eloquence of his dark eyes. No longer did people laugh at the little merchant, for nothing so quickly kills ridicule as success. When, two years later, his uncle Gavriel came again to see how the children were getting on, Ephraim was enabled to repay in hard cash the money he had lent him. "'Oh-ho!' cried Gudala's brother, with, with big, staring eyes, as he clutched his legs with both hands. "'How have you managed in so short a time to save so much? Do you know that's a great deal of money?' "'I've had good luck, uncle,' said Ephraim modestly. "'You've been... playing, perhaps?' The words fell bluntly from the rough countryman, but hardly had they been uttered when Viola sprang from her chair as though an adder had stung her. "'Uncle!' she cried, and a small fist hovered before Gavriel's eyes in such a threatening manner that he involuntarily closed them. But the child, whose features reminded him so strongly of his dead sister, could not make him angry. "'Ephraim!' he exclaimed in a jocund tone, warding off Viola with his hands. "'You take my advice. Take this little spitfire with you into the village one day. They may want a young she-wolf there.' Then he pocketed the money. "'Well, Ephraim,' said he, "'may God bless you and grant you further luck. But you won't blame me if I take the money. I can do with it. And in oats, as you know, there's some chance of good business just now. But I am glad to see that you're so prompt at paying.' Never give too much credit. That's always my motto. Trust means ruin and eats up a man's business, as rats devour the contents of a corn barn. There was but one thing that constantly threw its dark shadow across these two budding lives. It was the dark figure in a distant prison. This it was that saddened the souls of the two children with a gloom which no sunshine could dispel. When on Fridays Ephraim returned, fatigued and weary from his work, to the home over which Viola presided with such pathetic housewifely care, no smile of welcome was on her face, no greeting on his. Ephraim, tis true, told his sister where he had been and what he had done, but in the simplest words there vibrated that tone of unutterable sadness which has its constant dwelling place in such sorely tried hearts. Meanwhile, a great change had come over Viola. Nature continues her processes of growth and development mid the tempests of human grief, and often the fiercer the storm, the more beautiful the after-effects. Viola was no longer the pale child, the little spitfire by whom her uncle Gavriel's arm had been seized in such a violent grip. A womanly gentleness had come over her whole being, and already voices were heard in the ghetto praising her grace and beauty, which surpassed even the loveliness of her dead mother in her happiest days. Many an admiring eye dwelt upon the beautiful girl, Many a longing glance was cast in the direction of the little house where she dwelt with her brother. But the daughter of a gambler, the child of a man who was undergoing imprisonment for the indulgence of his shameful vice, that was a picture from which many an admirer shrank with horror. One day Ephraim brought home a young canary for his sister. When he handed her the bird in its little gilt cage, her joy knew no bounds, and showering kisses by turns upon her brother, and on the wire-work of the cage, her eyes sparkled with animation. "'You shall see, Ephraim, how I'll teach the little bird to speak,' she cried. The softening influence which had, during the last few months, come over his sister's nature, 
was truly a matter of wonder to Ephraim. Humbly and submissively she accepted the slightest suggestion on his part, as though it were a command. He was to her a father and mother, and never were parents more implicitly obeyed by a child than this brother by a sister but three years his junior. There was one subject, however, upon which Ephraim found his sister implacable and firm, their absent father, the mere mention of whose name made her tremble. Then there returned that haughty curl of the lips, and all the other symptoms of a proud, inflexible spirit. It was evident that Viola hated the man to whom she owed her existence. Thus had it come about that Ephraim was almost afraid to pronounce his father's name. Neither did he care to allude to their mother before Viola, for the memory of her death was too closely bound up with that dark form behind the distant prison walls. Let us now return to the night on which Ephraim opened the door to his father. How had it come about? A thousand times Ephraim had thought about his father's return, and now he durst not even kindle a light to look upon the long estranged face. As silent as when he had come, Asher remained during the rest of the night. He had seated himself at the window, and his arm was resting upon the very spot where formerly the cage had stood. The bird had obtained its freedom, and was no doubt by this time asleep, nestling amid the breeze-swept foliage of some wooded glen. He, too, had regained his liberty, but no sleep closed his eyes, and yet he was in safe shelter in the house of his children. At length the day began to break. The sun was still hiding behind the mountain tops, but its earliest rays were already reflected upon the window panes. In the ghetto footsteps became audible. Here and there the grating noise of an opening street door was heard, while from round the corner resounded, ever and anon, the hammer of the watchman, calling the people to morning service, for it was a fast day which commenced at sunrise. At that moment Asher raised himself from his chair and quickly turned away from the window. Ephraim was already by his side. "'Father, dear father!' he cried from the inmost depths of his heart, as he tried to grasp the hand of the convict. "'Don't make such a noise,' said the latter, casting a furtive glance in the direction of the window, and speaking in the same mysterious whisper in which he had asked for admittance into the house. What a strange awakening it was to his son, when in the grey twilight of the breaking day he looked at Asher more closely. In his imagination Ephraim had pictured a wan, grief-worn figure, and now he saw before him a strong, well-built man, who certainly did not present the appearance of a person who had just emerged from the dank atmosphere of a prison. On the contrary, he seemed stronger and more vigorous than he had appeared in his best days. Has he had such a good time of it? Ephraim felt compelled to ask himself. How different our poor mother looked! With a violent effort he repressed the feelings which swelled his bosom. Dear father, he said, with tears in his eyes, Make yourself quite comfortable. You haven't closed your eyes the whole night. You must be worn out. You are at home, remember, father? It's all right, said Asher with a deprecating gesture. We fellows know other ways of spending the night. We fellows, the words cut Ephraim to the heart. But you may be taken ill, father, he timidly observed. I taken ill? What do you take me for? Asher laughed boisterously. I haven't the slightest intention of falling ill. At that moment the watchman was heard hammering at the door of the next house. The reverberating blows seemed to have a strangely disquieting effect upon the strong man. A violent tremor seized him. He cast one of the frightened glances which Ephraim had noticed before in the direction of the window. 
Then, with one bound, he was at the door, and swiftly turned the knob. "'Father, what's the matter?' Ephraim cried, much alarmed. "'Does the watchman look into the room when he passes by?' asked Asher, while his eyes almost burst from their sockets with the intentness of their gaze. "'Never,' Ephraim assured him. "'Let me see. Wait,' whispered Asher. The three well-known knocks now resounded upon their own door. Then the shadow of a passing figure was thrown upon the opposite wall. With a sigh of relief, the words escaped Asher's bosom. "'He did not look inside,' he muttered to himself. Then he removed his hand from the doorknob, came back into the center of the room, and approaching the table, rested his hand upon it. "'Ephraim,' he said, after a while, in that suppressed tone which seemed to be peculiar to him, "'aren't you going to synagogue?' "'No, father,' replied Ephraim. "'I'm not going today.' "'But they'll want to know,' Asher observed, and at the words an ugly sneer curled the corners of his lip. "'They'll want to know who your guest is. Why don't you go and tell them?' "'Father!' cried Ephraim. Then be good enough to draw down the blinds. What business is it of theirs who your guest is? Let them attend to their own affairs. But they wouldn't be of the chosen race if they didn't want to know what was taking place in the furthermost corner of your brain. You can't be too careful with them. You're never secure against their far-scenting noses and their sharp, searching eyes. It was now broad daylight. Ephraim drew down the blinds. The blinds are too white, Asher muttered, and moving a chair forward, he sat down upon it with his back to the window. Ephraim proceeded to wind the phylacteries round his arm and commenced to say his prayers softly. His devotions over, he hurriedly took the phylacteries from his head and hand. Asher was still sitting immovable, his back to the window, his eyes fixed upon the door. "'Why don't you ask me where I've left my luggage?' he suddenly cried. "'I'll fetch it myself if you'll tell me where it is,' Ephraim remarked in all simplicity." "'Upon my word, you make me laugh,' cried Asher, and a laugh like that of delirium burst from his lips. "'All I can say, Ephraim, is the most powerful giant upon earth would break his back beneath the weight of my luggage.' Then only did Ephraim grasp his father's meaning. "'Don't worry yourself, father,' he said lovingly. "'Would you like to support me, perhaps?' Asher shouted with cutting disdain. Ephraim's heart almost ceased to beat. Then movements were heard in the adjoining room." "'Have you anyone with you?' cried Asher, springing up. His sharp ears had instantly caught the sounds, and again the strong man was seized with violent trembling. "'Father, it's only dear Viola,' said Ephraim. A nameless terror seemed to have overpowered Asher. With one hand convulsively clenched upon the arm of the chair, and the other pressed to his temple, he sat breathing heavily. Ephraim observed with alarm what a terrible change had come over his father's features during the last few seconds. His face had become ashen white. His eyes had lost their luster. He seemed to have aged ten years. The door opened, and Viola entered. "'Viola!' cried Ephraim. "'Here is our—' "'Welcome!' said the girl, in a low voice, as she approached a few steps nearer. She extended her hand towards him, but her eyes were cast down. She stood still for a moment, then, with a hurried movement, turned away. Gudala cried Asher, horror-stricken, as he fell back almost senseless in his chair. Was it the glamour of her maiden beauty that had so overpowered this unhappy father, or was it the extraordinary resemblance she bore to the woman who had so loved him, and whose heart he had broken? The utterance of her name, the terror that accompanied the exclamation, denoted the effect which the girl's sudden appearance had produced upon that sadly unhinged mind. Viola, Ephraim cried in a sorrow-stricken voice, 
why don't you come here i can't ephraim i can't she moaned as with halting steps she walked towards the door come speak to him do ephraim entreated taking her hand in his let me go she cried trying to release herself i'm thinking of mother suddenly asher rose where's my stick he cried i want the stick which i brought with me where is it i must go father you won't cried ephraim then viola turned round father she said with twitching lips you'll want something to eat before you go yes yes let me have something to eat he shouted as he brought his fist down upon the table bring me wine and let it be good i'm thirsty enough to drink the river dry wine and beer and anything else you can find bring all here and then when i've had my fill i'll go go viola ephraim whispered in his sister's ear and bring him all he asks for when viola had left the room asher appeared to grow calmer he sat down again leaning his arms upon the table yes he muttered to himself i'll taste food with my children before i'll take up my stick and go they say it's lucky to have the first drink of the day served by one's own child and luck i will have again at any price what good children while i've been anything but a good father to them they run hither and thither and take the trouble to get me food and drink and i i've brought home nothing but a wooden stick but i'll repay them so help me god i'll make them rich yet but i've got nothing but a wooden stick and i want money no play without money and no luck either gradually a certain thoughtfulness overspread asher's agitated features his lips were tightly compressed deep furrows lined his forehead while his eyes were fixed in a stony glare as if upon some distant object in the meantime ephraim had remained standing almost motionless and it was evident that his presence in the room had quite escaped his father's observation with a chilling shudder running through his frame his hair on end with horror he listened to the strange soliloquy then he saw his father's eyes travelling slowly in the direction of the old bureau in the corner and there they remained fixed why does he leave the key in the door i wonder he heard him mutter between his teeth just as goodly used to do i must tell him when he comes back keys shouldn't be left indoors never under any circumstances the entrance of viola interrupted the old gambler's audible train of thought ephraim gave a gasp of relief ah what have you brought me cried asher and his eyes sparkled with animation as viola produced some bottles from under her apron and placed them and some glasses upon the table now then fill up the glass he shouted in a commanding voice and take care that you don't spill any or you'll spoil my luck with trembling hand viola did as she was bidden without spilling a single drop then he took up the glass and drained it at one draught his face flushed a bright crimson he poured himself out another glass aren't you drinking ephraim he exclaimed after he had finished that glass also i don't drink to-day father ephraim faltered it's a fast a fast what fast i've been fasting too he continued with a coarse laugh twice a week on bread and water an excellent thing for the stomach fancy a fast day in midsummer on such a long day when the sun is up at three already and at eight o'clock at night is still hesitating whether he'll go to bed or not what have i got to do with your fast day his face grew redder every moment he had drunk a third and a fourth glass and there was nothing but a mere drain left in the bottle already his utterance was thick and incoherent and his eyes were fast assuming that glassy brightness that is usually the forerunner of helpless intoxication it was a sight ephraim could not bear to see 
impelled by that natural almost holy shame which prompted the son of noah to cover the nakedness of his father he motioned to his sister to leave then he too softly walked out of the room outside in the corridor the brother and sister fell into each other's arms both wept bitterly for a long time neither of them could find words in which to express the grief which filled their souls at length viola her head resting upon ephraim's shoulder whispered ephraim what do you think of him he's ill i think said ephraim in a voice choked with sobs what you call that illness ephraim viola cried if that's illness then a wild beast is ill too viola for heaven's sake be quiet he's our own father after all ephraim said the girl with a violent burst of emotion as she again threw herself into her brother's arms just think if mother had lived to see this don't don't viola my sweet ephraim exclaimed sobbing convulsively ephraim the girl cried shaking her head in wild despair i don't believe in the seches when we live to see all this and our hearts do not break we lose faith in everything ephraim what is to become of us hush dear viola hush you don't know what you're saying replied ephraim i believe in it because mother herself told us you must believe in it too but viola again shook her head i don't believe in it any longer she moaned i can't noiselessly ephraim walked toward the door of the front room he placed his ear against the keyhole and listened within all was silent a fresh terror seized him why was no sound to be heard he opened the door cautiously lest it should creak there sat his father asleep in the armchair his head bent on his bosom his arms hanging limp by his side hush viola he whispered closing the door as cautiously as he had opened it he is asleep i think it will do him good be careful that you make no noise viola had seated herself upon a block of wood outside the kitchen door and was sobbing silently in the meantime ephraim unable to find a word of solace for his sister went and stood at the street door so that no unbidden guest should come to disturb his father's slumbers it was midday from the church hard by streamed the peasants and their wives in their sunday attire and many bestowed a friendly smile upon the well-known youth but he could only nod his head in return his heart was sore oppressed and a smile at such a moment seemed to him nothing short of sin he went back into the house and listened at the door of the room silence still reigned unbroken and with noiseless steps he again walked away he's still sleeping he whispered to his sister just think what would have happened if we had still had that bird he wouldn't have been able to sleep a wink ephraim why do you remind me of it cried viola with a fresh outburst of tears where is the little bird now i wonder ephraim sat down beside his sister and took her hand in his thus they remained seated for some time unable to find a word of comfort for each other at length movements were heard ephraim sprang to his feet and once more approached the door to listen he's awake he softly said to viola and slowly opening the door he entered the room asher was walking up and down with heavy tread do you feel refreshed after your sleep father ephraim asked timidly asher stood still and confronted his son his face was still very flushed but his eyes had lost their glassy stare his glance was clear and steady ephraim my son he began in a kindly almost cheerful tone you've grown into a splendid businessman as good a businessman as one can meet with between this and vienna i'm sure of it but i must give you one bit of advice it's worth a hundred pounds to one in your position never leave a key in the lock of a bureau ephraim looked at his father as though stupefied 
was the man mad or delirious to talk in such a strain at that moment from the extreme end of the ghetto there sounded the three knocks summoning the people to evening prayer as in the morning so again now the sound seemed to stun the vigorous man his face blanched and assumed an expression of terror he trembled from head to foot then again he cast a frightened glance in the direction of the window nothing but knocking knocking he muttered they would like to knock the most hidden thoughts out of one's brain if they only could what makes them do it i should like to know to the clanging of a bell you can at all events shut your ears you need only place your hands to them but with that hammer they bang at every confounded door and drive one crazy who gives them the right to do it i should like to know he stood still listening do you think he will be long before he reaches here he asked ephraim in a frightened voice who father the watch he has already knocked next door but one another minute and the three strokes sounded on the door of the house asher heaved a sigh of relief he rubbed his hand across his forehead it was wet with perspiration thank god he cried as though addressing himself that's over and won't come again till tomorrow ephraim my son he cried with a sudden outburst of cheerfulness accompanying the words with a thundering bang upon the table ephraim my son you shall soon see what sort of a father you have now you're continually worrying your brains walking your feet off trying to get a skin or praying some fool of a peasant be good enough to sell you a bit of wool ephraim my son all that shall soon be changed take my word for it i'll make you rich and as for viola i'll get her a husband such a husband that all the girls in bohemia will turn green and yellow with envy asher's daughter shall have as rich a dowry as the daughter of a rothschild but there's one thing and one thing only that i need and then all will happen as i promise in one night and what is that father asked ephraim with a slight shudder luck luck ephraim my son he shouted what is a man without luck put a man who has no luck in a chest full of gold cover him with gold from head to foot when he crawls out of it and you search his pockets you'll find the gold is turned to copper and will you have luck father asked ephraim ephraim my son said the old gambler with a cunning smile i'll tell you something there are persons whose whole powers are devoted to one object how to win a fortune in the same way as there are some who study to become doctors and the like so these study what we call luck and from them i've learned it he checked himself in sudden alarm lest he might have said too much and looked searchingly at his son a pure soul shone through ephraim's open countenance and showed his father that his real meaning had not been grasped never mind he shouted loudly waving his hands in the air what is to come no man can stop give me something to drink ephraim father the latter faltered don't you think it will harm you don't be a fool ephraim cried asher you don't know my constitution besides didn't you say that today was a fast when it is forbidden to eat anything and have i asked you for any food but as for drink that's quite another thing the birds of the air can't do without it much less man ephraim saw that for that evening at all events it would not do to oppose his father he walked into the kitchen where viola was preparing supper or rather breakfast for after this fast this was the first meal of the day viola he said make haste and fetch some fresh wine for him cried viola pointing her finger almost threateningly in the direction of the sitting-room door don't don't viola ephraim implored and you're fasting she said am i not also fasting for him said ephraim with a full bottle in his hand ephraim once more entered the room 
he placed the wine upon the table where the glasses from which asher had drunk in the morning were still standing where's viola asked asher who was again pacing the room with firm steps she's busy cooking tell her she shall have a husband and a dowry that will make half the girls in bohemia turn green and yellow with envy then he approached the table and drank three brimming glasses one after the other now then he said as with his whole weight he dropped into the old armchair now i'll have a good night's rest i need strength and sharp eyes and they are things which only sleep can give ephraim my son he continued after a while in thick halting accents tell the watch simon is his name i think he can give six knocks instead of three upon the door in the morning he won't disturb me and to viola you can say i'll find her a husband handsomer than her eyes have ever beheld and tell her on her wedding day she shall wear pearls round her neck like those of a queen no no like those of gudula her mother a few moments later he was sound asleep it was the dead of night all round reigned stillness and peace the peace of night what a gentle sound those words convey a sound akin only to the word home fraught like it with sweetest balm a fragrant flower from long-lost paradise thou art at rest asher and in safe shelter the breathing of thy children is so restful so tranquil desist desist tis too late side by side with the peace of night there dwell spirits of evil the never-resting vagrant home-destroying guests who enter unbidden into the human soul hark the rustling of their raven-hued plumage they take wing they fly aloft tis the shriek of the vulture sweeping down upon the guileless dove is there no eye to watch thee doth not thine own kin see thy foul deeds desist tis too late open is the window no grating noise has accompanied the unbolting of the shutter the evil spirits have taken care that the faintest sound shall die away even the rough iron obeys their voices it is they who have bidden be silent betray him not he's one of us even the key in the door of the old bureau is turned lightly and without noise groping fingers are searching for a bulky volume have they found it is there none there to cry in a voice of thunder cursed be the father who stretches forth his desecrating hand towards the things that are his children's they have found it the greedy fingers and now but a spring through the open window and out into the night at that moment a sudden ray of light shines through a crack in the door of the room swiftly the door opens a girlish figure appears on the threshold a lighted lamp in her hand Gudula! he shrieks horror-stricken and falls senseless at her feet asher was saved the terrible blow which had struck him down had not crushed the life from him he was awakened but when after four weeks of gruesome fever and delirium his mind had somewhat regained its equilibrium his hair had turned white as snow and his children beheld an old decrepit man that which viola had denied her father when he returned to them in all the vigor of his manhood she now lavished upon him in his suffering and helplessness with that concentrated power of love the source of which is not human but divine in the space of one night of terror the merest bud of yesterday had suddenly blossomed forth into a flower of rarest beauty never did gentler hands cool a fever-heated brow never did sweeter voice mingle its melody with the gruesome dreams of delirium on his sick-bed lovingly tended by ephraim and viola an ennobling influence gradually came over the heart of the old gambler and so deeply touched it 
that calm peace crowned his closing days. It was strange that the events of that memorable night and the vicissitudes that had preceded it had left no recollection behind, and his children took good care not to reawaken, by the slightest hint, his sleeping memory. A carriage drew up one day in front of Asher's house. There has evidently been a splendid crop of oats this year. Uncle Gavriel has come. Uncle Gavriel has only lately assumed the additional character of father-in-law to Ephraim, for he declared that none but Ephraim should be his pet daughter's husband, and now he has come for the purpose of having a confidential chat with Viola. There he sits, the kind-hearted, simple-minded man, every line of his honest face eloquent with good humor and happiness, still guilty of an occasional violent onslaught upon his thighs. Viola still remains his little spitfire. Now, Viola, my little spitfire, said he, won't you yet allow me to talk to my Nathan about you? The boy can't bear the suspense any longer. Uncle, says Viola, and a crimson blush dyes her pale cheeks. Uncle, she repeats, in a tone of such deep earnestness that the laughing expression upon Gavrielle's face instantly vanishes. Please don't talk to him at all. My place is with my father. And to all appearances, Viola will keep her word. Has she taken upon herself a voluntary penance for having in her heart's bitter despair presumed to abjure her faith in the sachis of her mother? Or was there yet another reason? The heart of woman is a strangely sensitive thing. It loves not to build its happiness upon the hidden ruins of another's life. End of section 4 Recording by Colleen McMahon